Hey everyone, welcome again to the latest installment of The Way It Is. And I'm your host, Luca Mofato, with Team Luca First at Remax Service First Realty here in Kingston. Uh, fortunate again today to have uh, a very distinguished guest, um, Mr. David Lapp. Um, he's got more letters after his name than, uh, <laughs> than I dare say some pharmacies have in certain drugs that are administered. Um, I, I won't read the entire bio, David, because that might take up most of the podcast, but needless <laughs> to say, needless to say, you have a long and tenured career. Uh, David is a professional engineer. He graduated with a Bachelor of Applied Science in Geological Engineering uh, from uh, U of T back in 1978. Um, I am going to uh, get to a couple of excerpts that are, are pertinent to our, our call today. Uh, between 2007-2015, you served as a Secretary for the World Federation of Engineering Organizations Committee on Engineering and the Environment for Engineers Canada, focusing on climate change, environment, sustainability, and infrastructure issues uh, at the international level. And then in September 2020, he joined the Institute for Catastrophic Loss Reduction, ICLR, as a part-time senior advisor for resilient infrastructure. And then in December 2021, uh, he assumed a voluntary role at that same organization uh, and the Climate Risk Institute, as well as a senior advisor to the PI. PIVGEC program. Uh, and then in September 2022, he joined the Climate Risk Institute as an associate. Um, well, welcome, David. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, and the reason you're here is I came across an article uh, in the Globe and Mail uh, some time ago, and I always forget which you get these feeds sometimes from time and, and sometimes they catch your eye and sometimes they don't. But it was certainly an article, I guess, regarding that you contributed on, or at least were, were called upon to, to provide some, some insight and some, some context in terms of climate change and, and building codes. Um, and of course, obviously that, that fits right into, to my world and, uh, and the world around us. And I'm going to, uh, just uh, grab one of your quotes. You said, one of the issues with codes and standards is that they are mere minimums, said climate risk consultant David Lott. Um, it's quite a process to get these changes updated. We're seeing these events happening that are more frequent and intense and codes and standards have difficulty keeping up. So let's start there. Where, When you say minimums, where are we at with, I guess, the current building codes? Uh, and, and I guess to my understanding is it's a national building code across the country correct right yeah they they're the national building code is is issued by the you know the federal government and i should say that it's a model code um in that uh all provinces and territories need to either adopt that code and make it to make it legal in their province or territory or they in some cases like in ontario they would have an ontario building code which uh, takes most of the national building code, but then it kind of um, uh, adjusts it to serve, you know, local conditions in that, because there are differences uh, in geography and practices across the country. So, and code, the implementation of codes is a, a provincial jurisdiction, not a federal one. But the provinces and territories are mandated to implement those codes federal that are they, issued federal they are um and it's kind of like the uh in general they what they do is because they're updated every five years uh, that's the process uh, and they have you know essentially uh, adopted those codes so 
whenever a code, a, a new national code comes out, it's an amendment to the previous code that's already in force. But it is a, it is a decision taken by the province or the territory to, you know, essentially say, okay, now we have the 2020 code, so we are now, you know, mandating that uh, for folks to follow, you know, in our jurisdiction. So that's that's the way the, the system works. Um, and as I say, um, in places like Ontario, and not every province is like that in terms of their own codes, but uh, in Ontario, they have an Ontario building code, mm -hmm. which then adds more, uh, you know, either adjusts things in the national code or may specify, you know, particular requirements that they feel are needed, you know, in Ontario. Right. And I mean, there's one, I guess, uh, one issue that's problematic is given our vast diversity in geography uh, and not only in the country, but in Ontario, the province alone, in terms of what you see here in my market area, Kingston, compared to going up to as far as Norm's Timmins or James Bay or whatever, right? I mean, you're going to see all kinds yep. of different variations in, in, in topography and geography and yep. soil, all, all the rest of it. Um, yes. So, so obviously climate change well there are those naysayers we will ignore them for now but i think we all agree those that are reasonable thinking people that it's a thing um <laughs> that these these uh, this influx or or uh frequency of of weather events as as they're calling them now are are, are certainly more frequent i i, I messaged a, a very good dear friend of mine who's an engineer uh, insurance broker and uh i said do you got the stats just quickly and so in in january of 2023 the um Insurance Bureau of Canada issued the uh, statement that was $3.1 billion in losses due to weather events in 2022. Right. And that's the third worst, the third worst. So I don't even know what the first or the second were. But yeah. where's the sh where's the shortfall right now in, in, in existing building codes to what I guess the bar needs to, to go to? Well, one of the... Uh... The sources of that of all those those damages uh, and and costs is of course extreme weather. So, you know, you talked about events. So, you know, you get tornadoes like in Barrie, they had a tornado there and ripped apart, you know, um, a lot of homes and and businesses in that area. You know, a couple of years ago, right? And mm -hmm. you know, there's been lots of uh, flooding events, you know, in Ontario, um, which have you know obviously inundated homes and caused. Uh, uh, like things like sewer backups and that sort of thing. So, so it's it's trying to uh, you know get codes that that uh, uh, you know in terms of like homes that that builders will adhere to to try to minimize you know the impact of those kinds of events um, and therefore would result in you know lower payouts by the insurance companies, of course, and uh, and also you know reduce costs for for the owners. So. If you make certain upgrades to your home, um, then you know your insurance, uh, your home insurance drops, you know, um, at least a little bit, you know, to recognize that you've taken measures to, you know, essentially uh, uh, climate uh, adjust your home to uh, account for some of these climate events. And and there's even things like earthquake insurance. You can buy an insurance. Like there's not a lot of earthquakes in Ontario that are damaging, mm -hmm. but that is uh, that is insurance that is available. I remember looking into it myself um, a few years ago up here in Ottawa, and I think it was going to cost me about three hundred dollars a year for that mm -hmm. that coverage. 
uh, I decided not to do it because I kind of know the a little bit about that area and that you know the t- the chances are that an earthquake you know happening in o- in Ottawa that would result in damage you know is mm-hmm. hopefully unlikely in my lifetime yeah. and the time yeah. I have my house you know that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean insure and and by the way, those three point one million or billion dollars is in insured losses. That is not to say, you know, there's there's more than that in uninsured losses, right? So, mm-hmm. so these mm-hmm. these are staggering numbers, um, and they do relate to the fact that you know we are getting, as you were saying, you know, we're getting more frequent uh, events, you know, events happening in areas that haven't happened before. Uh, so, and it's you know it's it's climate related. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty clear that uh, we're getting. Um, you know, for example, tornadoes, we're getting more tornadoes in Ontario, mm-hmm. uh, getting them up. We had them up in Ottawa about th- four or five years ago, a lot of yep. damage out in the western end of Ottawa, yep. you know, houses. And it's so uh, and it's so random, too. You know, I, I saw some pictures where, you know, houses on either side of, a, of an untouched house were completely destroyed. And then this one house in the middle is like, yeah, well, it's a kind of a bit of, you know, taking your chances, you know, but. It's it's really has to do with you know part of it is is the building of course and and trying to at least reduce the impact uh, if not eliminate the impact and homeowners can do that um, themselves um, in some ways and especially with houses that you already have um, that exist of course your your house and and the the institute that I work with the catastrophic loss reduction has actually a series of booklets on its website. Uh, and I would recommend homeowners, um, you know, consult those booklets to see what measures they can take to, you know, reduce uh, the potential impact, particularly things like sewer backup, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, you can get your basement flooded, right? And uh, there are mm-hmm. measures you can take for that. Um, and again, on that website, I'll just plug it as iclr.org. Yeah. Uh, go check it out. And uh, there's a whole section there on homeowners and what they can do to um, you know, I guess in improve their resilience to these kinds of events. No, a, a really good point, and that and that was the point. One of the points I was going to get to because these building code changes, of course, affect just that small segment of of the new construction, right? Which is, right. I mean, I don't know what the percentage would be, but I'm going to guess it's it's not huge uh, in terms of you know the number because <laughs> all we hear about every day, of course, is the housing shortage and that there aren't enough houses being built. So I I, I know the number's not not great, but um, so it's good to hear that about existing homeowners because I I bought a home in an older area. I think my home was built in probably the late 50s, early 60s, you know, um, and right. So th- if that's a great tip for those that want to, because the, the one I think you're referring to is this backflow prevention system, right? Which, yes, uh, exactly, yeah. Yeah, which I know the municipality of Kingston offers a bit of a, I think a rebate or some kind of reimbursement exactly. if you go ahead and, and get it installed. Um, yeah. And I know, I know clients that have had that done, actually. It, it, has there been... Uh, I guess, you know, sitting on the committees that you sit and making the recommendations that you make, is there pushback? Uh, is there any, is this a, a, is there political pushback from either the builders associations or from the powers that be about these changes or, or what do you, what do you witness? Uh, I, I would say, you know, there's, it might, pushback might be the, a, a really a strong word, but I would say certainly challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And in that sense, I mean that, you know, okay, prove to us, you know, that these measures are, are necessary and they will improve things. Because, you know, builders, for example, are always conscious of costs. And so when you put, uh, you put additional requirements in the codes, you know, to, uh, you know, an example would be, um, I know one that the ICLR was looking at trying to recommend was, uh, you know, in, when you're nailing um, uh, sheets of plywood, you know, for roofs, um, mm-hmm. and they suggested a, a more nails, for example, uh, than is in the code right now. And there was pushback on that because, well, if you, it was essentially to double the, the number of nails, you know, per sheet kind mm-hmm. of thing. And mm-hmm. then, I mean, this is getting into the minutia, right? Like that's what yeah. happens in these codes, right? Yeah. And uh, they, there was a lot of pushback because they felt that, you know, that would be adding a whole lot of uh, cost, and, you know, because it will take workers longer, obviously, to do this. And there's some, I mean, some material costs as well. So they're... Um, so that one is, is still, as I understand it, and this has been going on for several years, is still in in debate as to whether this is going to happen or not, um, which is, again, reflective of the process I was talking about of how long it can take because you have to go consult with everybody. And that's not only, you know, the, the, the homeowners, but also the builders, the municipalities, because sometimes these standards need to be uh, in addition to the standards, you also have to have bylaws. You know, mm-hmm. they, like any municipality has bylaws that may say may kind of reinforce or at least publicize the standards, saying, "Well, you know, if you're building in this neighborhood, you have to have follow these standards, even though right. they may be published, but they're not necessarily up front and and you know immediately visible, right? In a way." Yeah. So you know, that's another mechanism that's that's uh, you know ten, can bring the standards into implementation, right? So right. It, it, there's a there's a number of different mechanisms, and of course, standards, as I was saying, was was a minimum. So you know, and certainly as an engineer, um, not so much on homes because engineers are not necessarily you know involved in the in the design and approval of an individual home, we're more into, right. you know, the infrastructure of a, of a municipality, but yep. you know, it's up to the engineer to decide, you know, are those minimums sufficient for the situation at hand and the information and data that I have. And uh, a lot of cases, you know, um, it, it should be more than the minimum, uh, but sometimes, you know, um, the builder will say, well, no, I'm trying to keep my costs to the, the least I can. And as long as I follow the minimums, I'm I'm complying with the law, and that's it. You know, that kind of end right. of story kind of thing, right? Yeah. So that's why the long term you want to make try to improve these codes and standards because they are based, uh, you know, on on older climate information, and so mm-hmm. you're always trying to do an update on that. And then, of course, with climate change now, and we know the climate is going to change in terms of its uh, severity and all that going forward and there's you know science around how to predict that which is not a hundred percent yet so there's kind of that you know people are in the middle of all this trying to reconcile okay well we know it's going to change um but we don't know exactly how much and so we don't know how to reflect that necessarily in the codes per se and saying you know it must be this number so they might say well the codes are right now they're coming out are saying well Climate is changing. You should consider it, but they're not giving like you know, this is the number. 
necessarily right. right so that's the kind of situation that we're in right now which again then says well you know it's just a slow process it's just it's just the nature of the beast um, yeah and it just takes time well and and you know uh, uh, home builders with their increased costs whatever those might be at the end of the day those are going to get passed down to the consumer anyway, more more often than not, and so it's yeah. consumer in the end that's that's paying for these changes in in real life in real terms. Um, but you know, there's also a, you know there's the the cost benefit analysis if you're a builder or you're buying into a new development in terms of land costs that are associated with how many homes you can build and everything. So I mean, it's all a domino effect in terms of uh, at the end of the day, yeah, it, it all falls down on the shoulders of the consumer though. I guess to shoulder, yeah, well, it's whatever. you know. And the interesting thing is with, with, you know, building communities or neighborhoods, you know, it, it isn't just the house um, and what the house is involved. It's just the whole development itself. So, for example, things like managing the stormwater. Um, Correct. Yeah. And that sort of thing. Like there's more more to this than just, you know, the building. It's like your connections to the, the city, city systems, um, you know, how you design your your roads for example around it for maybe conveying some of the water you know maybe have a like a a, a pond you know that can can mm -hmm. handle floods you know locally yeah uh, yep. i know i know in some cases i've i've heard of like um if you have a new school sometimes they'll actually build a soccer field like not at ground level but have kind of it's kind of dipped down you know a bit so that again right. when the when the water flow gets too much then that can become kind of a temporary holding yeah. place you know so there's lots of like techniques i think that and practices that are they're not necessarily completely widespread but there's certainly strategies involved and, and and so part of this whole underlying thing of this is you know education and and uh making uh builders and and engineers and and taxpayers you know knowledgeable about hey there are things you can do you know to mitigate some of these impacts of climate and they relate to the house but they also relate to you know how you design and and plan mm -hmm. out your neighborhood yeah well and we have a couple of developments here that have those retention ponds that you speak of you know for exactly that reason right um that uh, and then we do you know all of course the storm water systems that that exist as well um one thing uh, you know because building codes certainly i mean for the time i've been length of time i've been selling real estate which is Pretty close to as long as you've been an engineer and doing what you've, you've been you're longer tenured than i am so um but you know look from where we started to where we've come in terms of you know the last decade was all about energy you know um, the energy star uh, accreditation the you know the sustainability the lead programs all of that you know so so certainly there's been improvement but here's a question as an engineer has that compromised, given that, that the, the focus was more on sustainability and being green, as opposed to, I'm talking about like the, 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 the meat and potatoes of a home, like, you know, should they be frame, frame housing anymore? Should, there, should we look at different styles of construction now? You know, I mean, how, how do you guess, how do you square those things? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's, uh, that's what makes it both challenging and, and, and one might say interesting is that there are the these options are available you know and the, and you need to 
you know, for, for housing, I mean, part of the half of the equation is, you know, making uh, reducing energy costs for a home, for example. So you want to insulate better and, and that sort of thing. Right. So you're, you're, you know, there's dollars saved, right. And that sort of thing. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, like I've been hearing things like, you know, um, you make a home airtight um, so that, you know, it doesn't, uh, and you have these, you know, you might have special glass, you know, the, for let the sunlight mm -hmm. in. So it's great for the heating side, but then, you know, in the summertime, you're left with this airtight house with the, the sun coming in. It means you have to increase your air conditioning, right? So, right. Right. so it's kind of like, and, and of course, with everything going uh, towards, you know, getting warmer, right? And shorter, you know, not as cold temperatures and longer summers and higher temperatures and heat waves, you start to wonder, well, you know, is making a house airtight um, and, and the net of it all, is that necessarily the right strategy, right? In terms of, mm -hmm. you know, again, for a homeowner or the construction itself as like you say, cost benefit, right? Mm -hmm. So that's sort of from an energy, energy perspective. Um, and then also, I think just in terms of things like, you know, the, the resilience of the home to, um, to extreme weather, um, you know, high winds, you know, we had a, I think you must have experienced uh, this as well in Kingston. We had a Derrico. Uh, I never heard of that one before, but last May, hmm. you may may have heard of or recall, uh, there was this wave of like super high wind, not a lot of rain, but just massive yep. winds. And I, I remember uh, our house, uh, you know, uh, half the roof got torn off. Um, right. Not yep. down to the plywood, right? And in our neighborhood, we had trees falling over on houses and all that. So, you know, th those are the kinds of things like, you know, we never seen that before, but it happened, right? Mm -hmm. So that that's kind of lessons to be learned in terms of uh, certainly for new construction. And then I think, again, I go back to, you know, we have a huge existing housing stock that's in various ages and stages of, mm -hmm. of repair. And I think we need, I think part of the codes really need to look at that. And they, they're really missing that point, uh, you know, on existing housing. Somehow we need to bring in some measures that enable um, us to improve the resiliency of our existing houses. Yeah, well, one of the thoughts that came to mind when you mentioned, you know, the extra nails in, in roof sheathing, I was going like, I don't know, does extra nails really stop a tornado from taking your roof off or from taking your house down? <laughs> no, it's not, I mean, you know, it's not the it's not the like the panacea, but it's another <laughs> strategy, right? Of course, there's there's other things like they have another strategy called uh, tie down straps, I guess, which ties your roof into the into the frame right. of like that. Okay. And, uh, so that's uh, um, something, and and you know, just to give you a, an example of new versus existing. Well, if you put them in when you're um, when you're building the the home, then they're like you know they're they're in maybe a couple hundred dollars, right? Now, if you want to put them in, you know, after your home is, it's it's a much bigger deal because you've already got everything is all settled, right, and all that. So. So, but, you know, it can be done. It's, it just will cost more money to do it, and it's a bit more hassle. But nevertheless, you know, the principle there, and, and that's been, uh, again, another one that's had some some difficulties getting through the system of, you know, uh, because, again, they go, well, it's going to cost money, and, you yeah. know, we're so sensitive to the consumer and the, the costs are paying for housing. So, so it's, um, but, you know, you got to look at it, I think, over the, 
like it's not just the construction of the house it's the maintenance of the house you know it's just like any infrastructure you know mm-hmm. it's not just just building the cheapest thing and then hoping it'll it'll last yep. you've got to maintain it and you want to design it so that there's a kind of a sweet spot between resiliency and and good maintenance right so and mm-hmm. you need to, you need mm-hmm. both to have that thing last for as long as it needs to last right Yes. Well, and I have to think that the advancements in technology are, are helping to bridge that gap, absolutely. I, I, right? Yeah. So, yeah, the, yeah, I mean, because, you know, and one of the thoughts that came to mind when I talked about, you know, different types of construction styles, I mean, because obviously frame houses in, in, in an area that's prone to high winds and everything, you know, you, you know, I, I think to this new technology or these 3D homes, right? This 3D mm-hmm. places that are just all made out of concrete from from stem to stern yeah. right yeah absolutely I mean, yep no different absolutely. than an icf home for instance right which would yep. be essentially i think more durable or or certainly structurally stronger than 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 frame yes That's, absolutely totally yeah. yeah so it's again you know something that you got to look at uh you know where where is it being um built like not just like thunder bay versus kingston but Mm-hmm. within that within thunder bay or within kingston like you know what what is the topography like you say or yeah what are the local conditions that you're going to have to deal with um that could could be a should be perhaps more of a factor sometimes and you know selecting like the type of house you have and and uh you know but i guess it's again it's all comes down to the first and bottom line thing is you know the cost of housing and when you want to do some of these things they cost more and then you go well you know, and am I going to, you know, the bills go, well, can I sell these homes? You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a business decision in a lot of ways, but it still has to be that I not just token, but, you know, an actual careful consideration of the codes as well. Yeah. Well, and, and, and then you try to reconcile that in the world we live in now with, you know, a, 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 a glaring housing shortage uh the need yes. to build more houses as quickly as possible um to need the need to build them at an affordable uh, uh level right to allow the uh, largest number of people to be able to inhabit them or occupy them and, and, and purchase yeah. them so yeah i mean i i, I don't even uh, that gives me a headache just thinking about sitting on a committee like that and trying to uh, you know try <laughs> no, to get all those well, variables <laughs> there's a lot of competing interests but you know i think one of the, the good things about all of this is that you know, in the end, we come out with something that's solid. It's not, it's well considered from every angle. And so whenever you, you know, when you see a code that's there, it's there. It isn't just some flip, flipping process that says, oh, yeah, we just want to check the box off here. It's had a lot, a lot of scrutiny. Um, and, and you know, and it, it, in some ways, it's a compromise in that, you know, you can't sort of achieve one objective without, you know, with to the extent to, or I guess, to the detriment of everything else, you've got to come up with the right balance, right. the best one might say sweet spot yeah. um, that, you know, enables things to happen, but is done as safe. And that's the other thing too about codes is they are designed to assure safety, right? So yes. yeah. first and foremost, it's safety. It's not about economy. Um, mm-hmm. Economy is kind of like your second step and that's, dictated by the marketplace and practices and like you say technology mm-hmm. and all that right those all come into the cost equation but those those codes are there to assure that you've got a safe house um, in the conditions as we 
best to understand it, right? Yeah, no, no. Um, and, and I mean, you know, year after year, and I certainly don't want to upset anybody when I say this, or, or certainly at the risk of, of uh, pissing somebody off. But, you know, every year you hear about this flooding that happens. And, and again, vis-a-vis, -vis, and, and whether it's a, a direct uh, correlation to climate change or the way the weather is changing. But, you know, there's some people, there's a lot of housing complexes that are on floodplains and everything which begs a question right i mean and so how do you how do you retrofit those to to deal with because like you well, know you and when you know winnipeg and the manitoba area is notorious for that like every year you hear about those same issues absolutely right? absolutely so yeah i mean uh that's something you know that that i think we're, we're starting to recognize in that you know sort of going forward we're going to try to minimize or eliminate building on floodplains um but that means you got to have good maps right to uh mm -hmm. to make sure that you know where are where is the extent of flooding you know what where is the the, the flood line for the uh, flood you know the 100 year flood as they call it right whatever yeah and and have the policies in place to to uh enforce that and of course there's always pressure from developers like you know we want land we need land we need places to yeah. develop etc so there's that pressure but then i think there's a, a decent amount of pushback and increasingly so from provincial governments and municipalities to to do that but as you say you know what do you do about the houses that are on the floodplain now and um i can give you an example of a, of a situation from calgary back in be about 10 years ago now hard to believe it's that long <laughs> there was the big calgary floods you may have heard of and yeah um, yeah i think i remember there was, those yeah. there was a lot of there's a lot of houses that were flooded out there and you know and they were they were making policy on the fly there as as this was happening because everybody was up in arms and all that and they had one policy which i thought was really a really interesting one which said that okay you will pay to have your house, you know, rebuilt, whatever. Um, but we're only going to pay it once. Mm. If, if if you get flooded again, it's all on you. Right. So you know that gives the the homeowner pause to go. Well, okay, am I going to roll the dice here and rebuild mm -hmm. on this floodplain that's likely to flood? You know. Yeah. So I thought, you know, at the time, considering that, you know, we weren't we weren't so well developed in this area as we are now, I thought that was a pretty pretty good policy to start off with at least to try to deal with it some of the most immediate things right now yeah. of course uh, there's there's also i mean resilience measures and you know and the ability to get insurance is another thing you know i yeah. mean if, yeah. if you're in a floodplain maybe you won't get insured and then if you don't get insured then you won't get a mortgage right mm, so yeah. that that daisy chain that of a check and balance there as well Mm -hmm. But uh, so that that kind of handles the new. But then again, with the old, all you can do is um, <clears throat> you know make um, make them aware, and it of course it lowers uh, property values that are in those spots probably. Yeah. yeah. Uh, unless you know, unless there's ignorance about that. Um, but yeah, it's it's not a again, it's the the existing housing stock issue, right? You know, and there there's a situation yeah. where how do you how can we deal with this kind of systematically going forward so that the impact is reducing or reduced right over time?
Yeah. And and what what are you hearing from the different levels of government? Because I mean, we live in a world now where as soon as something goes wrong, everybody's got their hand out because they think that they need to be taken care of. Um, and I say that half facetiously, half very critically, because it is a world where everybody seems to want somebody else to pay their way, or at least compensate them for something. So but that exactly. said, that said, this is certainly something that I think affects a federal or a provincial or in a municipal government, totally. right? Because it's on their doorstep at, at the end of the day, right? We're talking about the inhabitants of those communities, of those provinces, of the country. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I, you know I, I'm never one to always say, you know, government spending and all that kind of stuff and everything like that. I mean, there's places that it should happen for sure, but certainly in enhancing building code or at least subsidizing builders or developers or the builders themselves in terms of, so that the consumer just doesn't have to take it all. You know what I'm saying? Because- exactly. Yeah, right. you have like, you know, there's there's a lot of things like you're talking about the backwater valves, like incentivizing uh, homeowners to uh, to do that maybe in their house that they have now, but also, you know, incentivizing uh, new builds saying, hey, you know, like when you're putting this, your house in, then always put in a backwater valve. Um, mm-hmm. And again, it's way less money to install one of those valves when you're putting it in, you know, initially on a new house Absolutely. as opposed to putting it into to a... Uh, an existing house, right? So, so there are a lot of measures that I think you know are are um, their best practices, and and even though they may not be um, codified per se, they are best practices. They are they are things that can over the long haul save money, um, and and municipalities have some some impact on that by you know bylaws, right? They can pass mm-hmm. bylaws mm-hmm. and say you know you. You can you need to follow this for building in our in our jurisdiction that kind of thing. I think I think the municipalities really need to have a hard look at you know that mechanism to help in terms of you know regulating uh, to have better homes built and that sort of thing. But yeah. again, you know they're they're under pressure too for you know getting yeah. <laughs> tax dollars and and you know for the infrastructure to support that community. Absolutely. And so it's again it's a it's always a balancing act and. Um, but there are, you know, one thing I will say is that there are a lot of um, forward-thinking home builders. You know, they're not all mm-hmm. like just mm-hmm. there to cut cut to the cost to the minimum. So yep. you work yep. with those guys, and you get things like the buildings and uh, the, the what is it, the uh, the homeowners associations, those sorts of things. You know, behind you, um, yep. you can you can change it. You know, again over time. And just try and get as much of the good practice out there, even if it's not under codes and standards and laws and all that stuff. Yep. So it's so there's there's lots of room for that kind of thing, I think. And that's that's why I feel, you know, optimistic. It's not just a totally pessimistic situation. And uh, you know, there's there's a lot of recognition that this is a good thing to do and you know, builders are and many builders are responsible enough to yeah, we, we should do that, you know, even though it might yeah. cost a little bit or whatever. And some of these measures are not, you know, they don't add like, you know, $25,000 to a house. You know, yeah. So I might yeah. ask, might be a couple thousand maybe, but yeah. and with the housing prices the way they are, I mean, a couple thousand might be the difference in bidding for a house, or for example, or yeah. whatever, right? So it's just, yeah. it's in the, almost in the noise sometimes. 
Yeah, no, no. And you know what? We're fortunate in Kingston. I think we have, uh, you know, uh, some good builders that are they're yeah. sort of uh, on the cusp or at least ahead of the curve. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Embracing embracing technology, embracing sort of, uh, you know, the, the way of the world and, and, and sort of looking forward. So, well, you know yeah. what? I, I really appreciate your time. I'm just noticing I, we, we could probably be talking for another yeah. hour. I'm going to guess about this, but we may yeah. lose a lot of listeners. I don't know. You and I would enjoy <laughs> it. But um, sure. but you know what? I, I, I really appreciate your time. We'll leave it on that op optimistic, okay. positive note. Absolutely. And um, good bet. luck with all the rest of your endeavors, David. I really appreciate you all having right. on the podcast. Well, thanks for reaching out. It was a pleasure to, to talk to you. All right. Have a good day. You too.